0: The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council
1: on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. We're in September. Football season's right around the corner. And gambling, of course, will be at an all-time high, as it always is this time of year. And that's why we do this show, to have an open, frank conversation about addiction and gambling addiction and gambling in general. As always, joining me is Dan Trellaro. He's with Epic Risk Management, formerly with the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling, who he still advises. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Craig. Good morning. How was your week? Uh, Well, if I could walk upright, it'd be better, but I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. I still have oxygen in my lungs, so that's a a good thing. Uh, Joining us this week is uh, one of the... Real legends uh, in the gambling addiction industry, in the gambling industry, and a pioneer and a man who's reached out and helped so many people uh, in, throughout their journeys of trying to figure out you know, the addiction and uh, conquer it. And that's Arnie Wexler. Arnie, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much.
0: Greg, thank you for having me. I've been listening to you for a long time.
1: Yeah, you yeah. know, when when I first got in trouble, you know, one of the first uh, phone calls my lawyer got was uh, from Arnie saying, "Hey, does Craig need any help? Uh, we're here to, uh, to talk to him and uh, try to help him figure out you know what's going on." So we we never well, really spoke about it on a personal level, but I do appreciate you reaching out when when I needed it the most.
0: Well, that was very interesting. I went to see your lawyer, and we spent about three hours together, and we talked about compulsive gambling. And then when he went to court, he never used it because the lawyers don't understand compulsive gambling or know how to use it to support somebody
1: yeah it's it's interesting that's probably a conversation for another day but you know I was on medication that actually has its number one side effect of compulsive gambling we talked to a number of people that are like leaders in the industry about compulsive gambling and although it's recognized as an addiction you know uh, the rest of the world is still I think very much behind understanding the addiction itself you know what I mean
0: absolutely
1: so you, you've been doing this a long time. For those people who don't know you, can you just give them your story of, I know it was 1970-something when you made your last wager, but what was your history as a gambler?
0: My, my last bet was uh, April 10th, 1968. Hmm. And, uh, uh, well, let me go back. I started gambling when I was 7 or 8 years old. It was flipping baseball cards, shooting marbles, pitching pennies. At 14, I started to gamble playing cards in the street. With friends in Brooklyn as a kid. At 16, I went to Roosevelt Raceway. Somebody took me in there, and I was allowed to get in at that age. And I won $54 that night. And I was working, I was in high school, and I was working a part time job, making 50 cents an hour. And I walked out of the racetrack with $54. And I thought, wow, what an easy way to make money. And, and I was totally locked in where i thought that i was going to be able to be a millionaire because look how easy it is to move money, sure. money on gambling
1: did you quit your job at that point when you won the 54 no. bucks or as no, opposed to I, making for the 50 cents an uh, hour very
0: good good question no i didn't craig the fact was that i kept gambling i went out with two girls in my life before i met my wife took them both to the racetrack and i lost both times so I knew girls were bad luck. So I didn't go out with any more girls. <laughs> okay. And I was 21 and I went to the Catskill Mountains and I met my wife. She was 16 at the time. And our first date was to the movies. And the second date was to Monticello racetrack. And she was wearing pigtails. And the guy at the door said, she's too young to come in here. And I was ready to leave her in the car because I was so addicted to gambling already by that point. But we went to another window and we did get in. And we had two years of going to Madison Square Garden, which I was betting on, on games, uh, racetracks, because I was betting on racetracks, baseball games, because I was betting on baseball games. And then we got married. So we wanted to, I wanted to go to Las Vegas, of course, for my honeymoon. Right. And Sheila said, no, we're not going there. She knew already I had a problem when i didn't even understand that i had a problem so and second choice was puerto rico because i knew there were a couple of casinos there and the real, the real estate the the agency said no there's gambling there because Sheila asked that question so we wow, went so she was the-
1: so your wife was hip to it early like even at, at at her young age if she's 18 19 years old she was well aware that you weren't doing something right
0: absolutely she understood the gambling addiction and i surely
1: didn't Hmm. So I know it's a long time ago. Was there a rock-bottom moment? Did you lose everything? Did you get in uh, heat with bad guys? Like, why did you ultimately make the decision to stop?
0: Well, I had gambled from, for the first seven years of our marriage, and I had it totally crazy. And bottom line was I had a guy came to work in my place. I was a plan manager at that point, supervising 400 people. We were married seven years. And a guy came to work in my place and I was told that he was a millionaire. So I owed three years annual salary at that time. And after six months, I went to him and I said, Jerry, I need, he said, yeah, you need to go to a 12-step program and get help for your gambling addiction. Hmm. So I decided that he was crazy. And for three weeks, I conned him and said, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And he said, show me some literature that you might have. So I didn't have any. So on the third or fourth week, I did go. And they gave me a little booklet and I showed it to him and I thought he was going to bail me out. And of course, that didn't happen. So that was February 10th, 1968. And then what happened, I stuck around for three weeks and I thought these people were totally crazy at the meeting because I was not as bad as them, I thought turned out that uh, on, a- on March March 4th, 1968, they gave me what they call a pressure release meeting, which is like a budget. And I looked at them. I thought they were going to bail me out, and they told me I needed two more jobs, and now I knew these people were crazy. Right. <laughs> so on April 10th, 1968, I thought the answer was to go back to gambling, go on a winning streak, and turn my life around. So I bet a parlay, and it was only a $6 bet. And it was the Cardinals with Bob Gibson, and he won the first game 2 nothing. And the second game was Tom Seaver against Marichel with the Giants. It was opening day of the baseball season. And I'm sitting in the car listening to the game because this was going to be the start of my big victory, and I was going to win all my money back. And I was on the way to my second job, but I, I was listening in the radio on the radio. So bottom of the ninth inning, the Giants scored four runs. I lost the game 5-4. And thank God that was my last bet.
1: Wow. And why was it your last uh, bet? You just said nowhere else to go for money? You know, I, I don't know, but I thought that I,
0: I really can't answer that question. I got involved in the program, and I started to answer the phones for the people that were calling for help. Right. And I started to feel a little better about myself. So after three or four weeks, I finally admitted that I had gambled on April tenth, 1968. And that was my last bet. And I got involved in the program. And I started to help myself and other people. And I think that's what kept me in the program.
1: When did, at what point wow. did it become your life's calling? Like, when did you sit down with your wife and decide, I know you wrote the book, but when did you decide, hey, I, this makes me feel so good about myself. I think I can make a career out of this.
0: Greg, it, it wasn't about a career. It was just about trying. I had three kids, two kids in the house. No, a third kid. I had three kids in the house. Uh, the only thing I did with my kids, I would take my daughter, who was five years old at the time, take her to the park in Flushing Meadows where I could get a pay- payphone so I could call the bookmaker when Sheila wouldn't know it because I couldn't call from the house. Right. That, what had happened, I, uh, I started to really feel good about myself, but it took me till September of that year i was invited to go to greenhaven prison and see people that were in prison because of gambling addiction and that's when it's that's when it really started that was september 26
1: 1968. uh dan Trelaw is with us as well dan yeah it's so it's interesting you know arnie's story goes back you know to the 1960s ours are much more uh you know uh, more recent uh, but the stories are all the same the, the commonality is frightening almost
2: I I just love listening to Arnie. I've known Arnie a long time. I've had the pleasure of talking with him. And just thinking through the number, Craig, 53 years. I mean, that's 53 years ago. What we've learned about addiction and gambling addiction since that time, we've learned so much. But the commonalities in the story are still the same. It's the lying. It's the deceitfulness. It's the hiding. It's it's the hidden nature. And I'm just really enjoying listening as much as uh, the, the listeners are.
1: I'll tell you, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, we'll hear from Arnie, and we'll talk more about addiction and how it manifests itself and all the stuff that he's learned over the years and how we can start helping people. It's Hello, My Name is Craig on Sports Radio 1019 FM, The Fan.
0: Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER.
1: Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. It's Craig Carton, of course, with you, and uh, Dan Trellaro with Epic Risk Management, formerly a New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling, where he's still an advisor, and uh, Arnie Wexler. All right, so, Arnie, as you started your journey of helping other people, I, I know you've learned a great deal along the way. Uh, give people who have no idea what gambling addiction is kind of how it manifests itself in our brains and in our souls and what makes it so, you, you know, so all-encompassing to people like myself.
0: Well, the, the truth is that it's so hidden and invisible. There's no track marks. There's no dilated pupils. There's no smell. So nobody. it's not like an alcoholic. You come home and somebody in the family smells it or your boss smells it. I, I was supervising 400 people. I was stealing every day to support my gambling addiction. I worked for the biggest stress company in America at the time, a company called Jonathan Logan. And I was doing everything. I was stealing dresses and putting them under my pants to go walk out of the factory with it. I was taking grafts from people. Nobody could come in and sell me any products like paper bags or plastic to put the dresses on or trucking. I had to get a kickback. So I was making all kinds of money from the, from the graft I was getting. And uh, an interesting story happened. A guy came in one day and wanted to sell me hangers. And I said to the guy, no, he wanted to sell me trucking. And I said to the guy, I have to get 6% cash back to put in my pocket. He said, we don't do that. He said, but I get great information in Roosevelt Raceway. Maybe you want to go with me to the track. (laughs) So I end up going to the track with this guy. And one of the top drivers at the track comes and sits next to him and me and gives him an envelope with cash in it and a piece of paper with what horses to bet on. So I'm at that time betting two win, two place, two show. And after a month, I got $4,000 in the bank. Wow. And we're talking in 1960, probably six or seven at the time, maybe six, five, something like that. And later on, I found out that it was a top driver. And the guy that was giving me the information, you're going to love this one, was Sid Gordon, the ex-baseball player. Who played for the New York Giants? And Sid was a friend wow. of this driver, and we got the information. And then one day, we were told not to bet on a horse, and the horse won the race, and they ended up throwing this driver out, and he ended up going to Pennsylvania to gamble, to race it, right. and to be a harness racer. Huh?
1: Got it. So it's interesting. All these years later, when, when you hear stories like mine and you'd reached out to try to help me and talk to my lawyer and all that and you continue to try to help people do you think we're at a point now because of the proliferation of legalized gambling where people are starting to understand it and respect the fact that gambling addiction is real or do you still think we're uh, years away from that happening
0: I think that the public doesn't understand this issue and the worst thing that's happened in the last couple of years you're now allowed to bet sports on TV. You're allowed to bet sports through through a telephone. Your Atlantic City is booming again because they're taking bets, not live bets with people, but they're taking bets on the phone and right. all kinds of stuff. And the fact is that there's more gambling and stuff going on, but it's killing me to see all these young kids that are now into gambling. You get all these high school kids and junior high school kids and even elementary kids are are into gambling today. I I share a case with you of a guy that, uh, well, this guy came to me for help a couple of months ago, and it turns out that he was gambling on the internet through a casino in Atlantic City, and when he gambled there, and he had a big win one time, all of a sudden, they shut off his phone contact, and he lost the account, and he he never got paid for the big win that he had. Hmm. Wow.
1: why didn't he get paid?
0: Because they shut the account and claimed he never won anything.
1: And and from a, a legitimate above board casino, did that?
0: Yep. Wow, that's
1: new. That's a new one on me.
0: Yeah. Well, he's got he's got a case going right now.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. Listen, I told the story that you know when I made yeah. the decision um, to uh, you know self uh, exclude from uh, Atlantic City casinos. I didn't know at the time that there's a difference when you do that between bricks and mortar walking into a casino versus the online gaming. So I went online to the New Jersey, whatever, department of, of gaming, and there's a, there are a bunch of links you click and you enter in all your information. And you can uh, self-exclude For those of you at home that don't know what I mean, you tell the casinos that they're not allowed to take your money. And you become blackballed, essentially, from all the casinos, and that carries out throughout the country. I don't know about the world, but certainly throughout the country, you're on a list, and that list is, hey, that guy can't gamble, right?
0: So I do that.
1: So I did Mm -hmm. that, and then I didn't realize, I didn't know any better at the time. This is about, I don't know, I guess four years ago now, that 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 does not include the bricks-and-mortar casinos that you can walk into. And I realized that because literally a week after I self-excluded – I got a letter in the mail, and I know it's a form letter, but it's the point of the story I want to make, from an Atlantic City casino. And in the letter it says, and I saved the letter, it acknowledges the fact that I've self-excluded from wagering online. And the casino letter says, we'd still love to see you in person. Come on in. Wow. Unbelievable. And in my head, I'm like, I'm trying to be responsible here. I can't gamble responsibly, so I'm going to make sure I'm not allowed to gamble. And a week later, they acknowledge my decision to do that with an invitation to come back in. It was unbelievable.
0: That's unreal. That's not the first time I heard that.
1: Yeah, it was just crazy to me. Um, actually,
0: actually, I'm the first person in America that ever excluded themselves when Atlantic City opened, I uh, opened the law about the exclusion. I was there at seven o'clock in the morning because I wanted to be the first one to get it done. And that was the first state that did it.
1: What do you say, Arnie, to people who are waking up today, saying, "All right, this is day one. I recognize I'm not gambling, uh, you know, responsibly, recreationally. I've got a problem." Or for someone out there right now who's coming to terms, you know, early on now that they have a loved one who has a problem. You know, we talk on this show a lot about, you know, hey, I'm three-plus years in without gambling. Danny's got a decade without gambling. you got 50-plus years. But there are a lot of people that are at day one. And I remember how frightening that was to me. What is your message to those people who today are deciding, I'm going to try to get help. I want to figure this out?
0: Well, I have a website called on uh, YouTube. Um, excuse me. I have a, a website on Facebook. It's called Gambling Addiction and Recovery. There's 2,100 people on there on the Gambling Addiction and Recovery site, and there's 2,100 people worldwide on there. They can get on there and get some support. That would be good. A lot of meetings for Gamblers Anonymous are closed today, but you can get on a Zoom meeting and get in contact with a lot of people that are trying to also stay in recovery, and that will help you. Nobody can do this alone. You need support and help.
1: And I think one of the messages, Danny, we try to say a lot in this show is you can get through it. There is light on the other side. You can have financial freedom. You can repair relationships. As bad as it is today, everything does start getting better once you take that first step, which for me, you know, is always honesty. It's the the admission that, hey, I'm messed up, I got a problem, and I'm willing to accept other people's help.
2: Yeah, and, and I think you you summarized it well, Craig. Because there is light at the end of the tunnel. We've got a range of recovery here from three to fifty plus years. And I always I, I can't help but think about the simple Serenity Prayer during this entire uh, program today. You know that Serenity to accept the things you cannot change, the courage to change the things that you can change, and then the wisdom to know the difference. And that's the lifelong journey. It's the wisdom to know the difference between what you can and cannot change, what you can and cannot control, and it gets. It gets better. It gets easier, as Arnie has shown, as you're seeing, Craig, as I have seen. But it's a daily journey. We never have this thing beat because it can just rear its ugly head at any moment in time. Craig, you talked about lying, and I want to just make this point.
0: Yeah. I could tell you that I couldn't stop lying for about 10 years in the program. I would lie about anything and everything because lying was so inherent my whole life that – I just couldn't stop lying. And I remember how I stopped. One day, Sheila asked me a question. And I said, to her, do me a favor, ask me the question again. And I told her the truth. And that was the last time I told a lie. But it took me about 10 years to get rid of that lying stuff because it was so inherent in my brain.
1: And, and you lie about everything, even things that are non, you know, inconsequential to anyone else, right? You just start Absolutely. lying about everything.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Yep. You nailed it.
1: Yeah. Yep. Was, was there a period for you, Arnie, where your ego wouldn't allow you to admit you had a problem? Well,
0: you know, I, I had low self-esteem. I had no ego when I was, when I was before I stopped gambling. Uh, and then my ego went crazy to the point that I would go to the racetrack and I'd come back the next day and tell everybody in the factory I won money when I lost money. So I was trying to get myself feeling good by bulls**t people. And that's what happened my whole life until I stopped gambling.
1: Yeah. By the way, if you hadn't met and married uh, your wife, Sheila, do you think you would have uh, gone into recovery? Do you think you would have had a different uh, end to your story? Who really
0: knows, to be honest with you. The fact is, in those days, Sheila wanted to leave. I didn't notice till later. She wanted to leave but where was she going to go to her parents in those days women didn't leave today they leave but in those days they didn't leave you know every day i woke up and i thought the answer to my gambling problem to solve it i wanted to kill myself and i thought about killing myself constantly and i just never had enough guts to do it
1: did you plan it out like did you specifically come up with how you were going to do it I thought
0: about it. I tried to figure ways. I remember one day coming back from Yonkers Raceway, and I was coming back on the on the uh, Cross Bronx Expressway, and I smacked into a pole. No, I'm telling the story wrong. I was pulling out of the parking lot in Yonkers Raceway, mm-hmm. and I hit a Johnny pump that was in the middle of the parking lot, and I cut my lip, and my I was bleeding like crazy, and the police came, and they wanted to, Fix me up, or take me to the hospital. And I said, "No, leave me alone." I told Cheryl I was working late and I had to get home. So I put a towel on my face and drove all the way home from the Cross Bronx Expressway uh, until I got home to Queens. And she asked me what happened. I said, "A tire blew out," and you know, it was going some of story.
1: Hey Dan, I mentioned at uh, the start of the show that you know we are now in September. We're uh, you know coming up on the first uh, NFL game of the year. And I'm just wondering, I know NFL is obviously the most heavily bet on sport, but because you can now bet from your home on your phone on, on anything these days in almost every state, or it seems like almost every state, is the football season still uh, like a, a target date for folks like you that help other people and, and are worried about you know people gambling, or is it less of an uptick because you can gamble so frequently now? I think it's still a
2: major issue because we started to see the college students, especially the college students, on some of the surveys that we've started doing and some of the research, the the younger folks with football going back to college, you know, with their friends, ability to do it online, on their mobile device, on their smartphone, and they don't see sports betting, uh, football in particular, they don't even see it as gambling. The way it's marketed, it's almost seen as a side job. It's seen as an easy way to make money, a fun time with friends. So football, especially in the Northeast, uh, has historically seen a tremendous increase in betting handle. And now we're in the, let's see, fourth, it was June of 2018 when sports betting was legalized. This is now the fourth football season that we're coming into. I expect handle to exceed previous years again. So this is a big time that we really pay attention to, especially with sports betting across the board, because now we still have baseball going on. We have football, you know, NBA starts later in the fall with hockey. It's, it's this is a time of year when we really see an increase in people starting to dabble in gambling.
1: Got
0: it. Arnie, well, any I final have, thoughts
1: you have?
2: I had a bookmaker
0: and he once showed me this information. And if he had 20 people gambling with him football season, he had a hundred people gambling with him. Yeah. Exactly. Premier
1: gambling thing for gamblers. Well, Arnie, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and uh, the continued help you provide to so many people like me and like Dan and so many others out there. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us this morning. I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much, Greg, for having me. You got it. Arnie Wexler, you can check him out. uh, Google his name. A million different sites come up, including the Facebook one that he talked about. Danny, always good talking to you. Guys, enjoy your uh, Labor Day weekend. And we'll do this again uh, next uh, weekend, Dan. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks,
2: Craig. Thanks. Have a great weekend.
1: All right. Hello, my name is Craig. Danielle McCartan is next. Evan and I are off, of course, on Monday, Labor Day. We're back on Tuesday, and then it's a straight shot all the way through Thanksgiving. Enjoy the rest of your weekend right here on The Fan.